Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we've got J.T. Holmes on the podcast, and in addition to being a skier and base jumper and ski base jumper and off-road racer and stuntman and stunt coordinator and speed rider, well, in addition to all that, J.T. has just joined the team at Peak Skis, along with Bodie Miller and Andy Worth and Chris Davenport and Michelle Parker. And so I talked to JT yesterday evening to get the backstory on joining the Peak Skis team. And then we get into a very wide-ranging conversation about speed riding and being a stunt coordinator and filming and ski films today and media coverage of skiing. And so, yeah, as I said, this one goes broad and even includes a discussion about gear that I don't think we've ever had in any Blister Podcast conversation before. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by our Blister Plus Spot membership. And with this membership, you will have access to all of the content and reviews we publish at Blister, including our flash reviews of several peak skis that we're going to be dropping very soon. And you also get accident coverage good for up to $25,000 per injury or incident and so whether you have no insurance at the moment or you do have insurance but a really high deductible this is definitely something that you ought to check out because we know there are millions of people around the world that could benefit from this coverage So there's a good chance that you are one of those people. So I'll include a link in the show notes of this episode for our Blister Plus Spot membership, and that will show you all of the details and get you the information you need to know about all the benefits that you will receive. So check it out and sign up and please get yourself covered before you go sustain one of those injuries that none of us want to think about but that happens all too often. And with that, let's get to my conversation with J.T. Holmes. Here we go. Well, J.T., how are you today and where are you today? Um, I'm doing well, and I'm in Palisades, Tahoe, California, uh, looking out at a uh, recently closed ski resort. It is 4.26 p.m., so the day is done. Was today a ski day for you or was today a work work around the house day for you? Yeah, I had kind of a garage type Sunday working on snowmobile and a garage session. Yeah. But uh it, it was it's kind of we're in these atmospheric rivers, so we the storm has just been crazy and today we had a little bit of rain. So kind of nice to uh catch up on life. Yeah. When's the last time you had a season like this in those parts? We've had a lot of very good ski seasons um, in the last decade or so, but th- this is a lot of snow. This is you know right up there with the max. Uh, I 2010 and 11, there was a ton of snow. There was, I think 17 was a big year. Uh, then just two years ago was pretty massive. So yeah, it's, it's, we get we get a lot of snow here. What's nice is typically it doesn't stay stay cloudy, right? The you know the sun comes right on out, and you know we'll we'll go straight into corn cycles even in February um, sometimes. So it's I love the weather here, and uh, we're going to be skiing for a long time this spring. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I've started saying things like. Yeah, I think Palisades is now saying they're just going to stay open till like 2043 or something right. like that. And yeah. uh, so anyway, pretty cool. Well, while you got your your garage session in, we actually, we tried to record this earlier today. And I think there's so much weather going on that the internet was not cooperating with us earlier, but it means that I got to go out, snuck off and got 
got my ski day in. So I'm kind of coming back from that that uh, ski day high. So I don't know if you get that same kind of high, you know, working on snowmobiles in the garage, but I'm feeling pretty good. No, I, I far prefer going skiing. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, hey, man, some pretty big news recently came out that you were going to be joining Peak Skis. Well, what I thought was, first of all, it's weird that you and I have not connected yet, but I figured this would be a great occasion to both talk a bit about what was going on and what led you to to team up with Peak, and then we'd have a whole host of other things to talk about. So, But why don't we start with Peak? Tell me a bit of the backstory and, and when this started to be a potential jump. Um, well, it started with a phone call from uh, Andy Wirth, and he just called and said, hey, what's it going to take to get you involved? We'd love to, to have you over here at Peak. And uh, I suppose... I had I had learned first about the company at a barbecue with Bodie and Andy um, in California, um, but I did not. Uh, we didn't talk biz uh, as far as any, any sort of involvement of, of me. But so the Andy's timing was was good. My contract with Head was up, and uh, and we worked out a a, a role and and. We uh, are both really excited about it to be partnered again. Uh, of course, I worked with Andy over at um, what was then known as Squaw Valley, um, and he he did a lot of he got a lot done. You know, merged two ski resorts, set the foundation for the base to base gondola, and yeah, we we had some fun. We had some fun here in uh, when he was here. And so what was it, other than you guys knew each other well, but what do you think it was where Andy hit you up with this project? What did he see that you would be bringing to the Peak Squad? Anything in particular? Did he say as much or did he just say, hey, man, I want you in on this? I think that that would be a good question for Andy. (laughs) But um, I know that, you know, a startup like this, a uh, small brand, is it's going to be an adventure, and you need to select your team well. And I think that Andy, I think that he trusts me. I think he finds me to be reliable, and that I can represent a brand in any number of environments and circumstances, uh, and do it, you know, with class and do it well. Um, I know that he considers me a hard worker, um, and I was flattered that, you know, that he chose to bring me in at the, you know, really, really at the ground level. The, the, the company is soon celebrating their one year anniversary, I believe on April 4th. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty exciting to be starting at the grassroots level. When did you first meet Bodhi? Uh, you know, the first time I really hung out with Bodhi and had some nice conversations was just about a year ago. But I had crossed paths with him in ski towns once or twice. I remember one kind of blurry night in Chamonix and just chatted up a little bit. And then, you know, I was kind of on my way back to the hotel. But uh, fun. Um, yeah fun to watch his, his career over the years. I, I really, uh, I really enjoy watching people ski on the edge of control, right? The, um, that kind of where you're performing, um, completely different than the plan. And, you know, you're definitely in the zone and, and just absolutely ripping and, uh, Bodie skied that way a lot. And so it was really fun to watch him ski uh, when he was competing. I, I was a fan really for the entertainment sake of watching him ski. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us feel that way. Well, let me ask you about a couple of the other key players on the peak team. Chris Davenport. How long have you known Chris for? So I met Chris when I was 17 years old. In Verbier, Switzerland, I was on a matchstick production shoot. It was probably the first or second time I was shooting with with matchstick productions. And 
and you know, he was already in town. I kind of rolled into town with, I believe Kent Kreitler, uh, but it was Wendy Fisher, Chris Davenport, Scott Gaffney was filming. Uh, Dean Cummings was there and, uh, kind of had, you know, somewhat unremarkable couple of days of filming. We did get shots for the movie. It wasn't epic. It wasn't bad, but, um, I didn't have a ton of interaction with Chris. Um, but that's where I met him. And, you know, over the years we competed and I don't think I ever did any, I didn't do a ton of, of filming with Chris, but, um, you know, known him for ages. By the way, so you and I talked this morning and then we were like, let's circle back, see if our internet situation gets better this evening. But so I peel off, go to the mountain. And then we were talking about Wendy Fisher this morning. And then I bump into her on the head wall in Crested Butte in sort of typical fashion. So I was you know, able to say, JT says hello. She said, yeah, let him know I said hi. So nice to just keep all the connections going in this, this little world. Yeah. Absolutely. She's still, she just rips. <laughs> yes. She's so damn good at skiing. It's great. <laughs> and I see her every year. Uh, she comes out for the Shane McConkey event at the end of March. Yeah. Yeah. So that's always fun. One more person to ask you about. Michelle Parker mm-hmm. recently joined the Peak Squad. How far back do you go with Michelle? Michelle and I go pretty far back, and we, we're we really close friends, too. I say we're really she, – she's one of my dear friends. We're not you know on each other's daily routine of skiing together, hiking together, and traveling together. Um, but, uh, yeah, she's great, and she is a highly effective little Black Panther – um, she just, she just gets stuff done, climbs mountains, gets the shots, does all the foundation stuff. She's, she's a, she's a busy bee and her nickname is black Panther. And I don't really know why or how. <laughs> okay. I might need to get Michelle back on to ask her. We got one big question for you, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Cause, uh, yeah, I don't know the answer to that either. So here's another big question I had. I mean, you have been involved in so many different, first of all, facets of the ski industry, but then also stuff well beyond the ski industry. And I just was sort of wondering, say in the last maybe 12 months and looking forward to these next 12 months, what is the stuff that you, of of all the many areas and the things that you have been involved with, what's the kind of current situation like? Yeah. So, um, winter, winter is for, is for skiing. I'm a snow sports athlete. Um, and the fact of the matter is that as a snow sports athlete being up here in Palisades Tahoe, much as I absolutely love it, there's not a ton of career opportunity in snowless months. There's so there's not a lot of, um, opportunity cost if you're, if you're gone. And so I've been pursuing stunt work and it's been going very well. Uh, I spent a year as the extreme sports stunt coordinator for a Netflix movie that'll be out August 11th of this year. And it, it was, uh, I had a, a lot more responsibility uh, than I had in other stunt coordination roles. And I got to gain a lot of experience beyond my specialties. Of course, my specialties being air, snow, and driving. Um, but I, I got a lot of experience in more fundamental stunt work. Um, so it was great and, and exciting, fruitful, um, good, good people, good crew. So uh, right now, I do not have a, a movie that I'm working on. I stunt coordinated a movie here at Palisades Tahoe in December. Um, it was really fun. And um, I've just been just skiing, skiing my heart out. Hmm. You allowed to name names of movies or is stuff still under wraps? Yeah. Yeah. That one, uh, the one that's coming out is called Heart of Stone. You can go on. There's a, t- there's a trailer out and everything. Heart of Stone. 
um, starring uh, Gal Gadot. Wow. Were you doing stunt coordination for Gal? Yes. Damn. All right, then. Although there's Gal is, is great and athletic and, and all these things, but she doesn't do her own stunts. She's not Tom Cruise, right? So I was doing stunt coordination for Gal, but I'm using doubles. Gotcha. What did you mean when you said you're getting into more fundamental stunt work? What does that mean? Well, fundamentals of stunts is fights, falls, rigging, driving. Um, you know, not every movie has a skydive or base jump sequence or a you know, badass mountain scene um, with skis or snowmobiles or snow driving, you know, but most shows have some kind of fight or fall or um, driving. So I just meant the more, um, the more just bread and butter stunt work. And a lot of the, a lot of it, when I say rigging, you know, a lot of movements in stunt performance are, um, you know, we motivate them, right? Maybe we're flying somebody on wires, we're using ropes and pulleys, or um, maybe we're, um, launching people with a ratchet or a ram. Uh, you know, I recently was working uh, for a friend and actually great skier, former U.S. ski teamer, Todd Schneider, um, on his show. And there's, it's an astronaut show. So there's a lot of um, floating around. Right? You know, just maybe it's you're just a couple of feet off the ground, but you're moving somebody around. So, yeah, it's, it's it's a it's a really really great business, um, and I, I really enjoy doing something that is quite a bit different than um, what I've been doing in the ski industry for so many years. Yeah, and I mean, as I kind of look at your career from afar, it seems to me that's one of the defining features that you have kind of continued to push into different areas and go explore and then get good at that thing. And then you're kind of on figuring out some new skill set or industry. And it sounds like this is exactly in keeping with what you've basically been up to since, <laughs> since you were a teenager and early 20 something. Does that, does that feel right to you? Yeah, it, it does. I've, I've, I've always been diversified um, with my business. And, um, right now I have four components of, of my work, but, um, yeah, I, I appreciate the, the kind words and, and, um, I say it's an accurate assessment. <laughs> I think that I have, I'll, I'll add that I think that I've had always a, uh, a healthy lack of confidence that you're going to be able to live the dream forever. Right. Being this sponsored, hey, look at me, badass professional sponsored athlete is not something that you can do forever. And um, so I have always been committed to not just thinking about what you're going to do next, but actually developing it um, in the off season or you know, at the same time as, as everything else. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lesson that we end up kind of talking quite a bit about is just for young athletes coming up, keep looking at expanding the skill sets and things you can bring to the table, because I feel like we are seeing just phenomenal athletes in skiing and snowboarding and mountain biking, et cetera, but also developing skill sets in the way you have, whether it's to go work in different capacities with a company, uh, that's how you sort of build lasting value. Um, it seems like. Yeah. I, and it, it's how you achieve staying power. Um, most people have a preconceived notion that a professional skier is, or a professional sponsored athlete is just, it's just performing. And then all the rest just kind of falls from the sky, right? You just It all just happens. But most professional athletes have some sort of 
income aside from their sponsorships, right? And and usually they complement each each other very well, right? You might have somebody who's a you know a surfer and a model, or you know you have a guy like Cody Townsend who is a producer of his own show. He has the fifty, right? And you know, he, he's the executive producer. Um, he's the boss, but that's work. Um, I do speeches, uh, hospitality, taking people, guided trips, uh, and Hollywood and sponsorships. Those are my kind of four disciplines of my, of my business. Hey, back to the stunt work for a second. Cause I'm not sure we've actually ever talked about stunt work in the history of this podcast. So it makes a lot of sense how you would initially be getting called in if there is a base jumping scene or, you know, speed riding, et cetera, something like that. What was it like transitioning into use your term, the more fundamental stunt coordination? I mean, it, it would, I can imagine that would be a very difficult thing to break in that people are already there doing that and don't necessarily like new folks sort of coming into that field how how did it go for you i came i came into the screen actors guild union in 2010 i was called upon for a specialty skill set which was wingsuit flying and i assembled a team and we flew wing through wingsuits through chicago for transformers 3 and that's full dream job you know i would definitely risk getting arrested just to go jump off the Sears tower, Willis tower, whatever you want to call it. And and in this case, we got to do it during the day. Um, and with, you know, with cops down there making sure our landing area was clear. So, um, but I was immediately into a coordination role, right? I, I, I immediately had responsibility beyond show up, do a stunt, get a paycheck, leave. Um, so, and, and I, I did well, uh, because I really wanted to do well and I wanted it to lead to further opportunities. Um, so I took it very seriously and worked very hard, but, um, that's how I got in. And then you asked about shifting more into the fundamental stuff and the barriers to entry. Yes, there are barriers to entry. Um, it did not fall into my lap. Um, and I still need to hustle, of course. Um, and, but it's, 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 in my opinion, it's kind of been about the right amount of balance and barrier to entry. People are, um, people in Hollywood, whether it's acting or stunts or whatever it might be, uh, Hollywood respects the hustle, right? Hollywood's the type of place where, you could walk onto a movie set and hand a director a resume and that would be socially acceptable, right? Maybe not now with COVID, but Hollywood respects the hustle. So outreach is, um, is a very critical component. And I happen to have 25 years of, of outreach because when I was at Squaw Valley Academy, my high school, I, want, I had already decided at 14 years old, I wanted to be a professional skier. And I started putting stamps on envelopes and sending my photo and my meager competition results out to companies like Scott USA and K2. And I even, I even sent a letter to Matchstick Productions asking if I could film, you know, stamp on an envelope to Matchstick, right? Addressed to Steve Winter, um, you know? And so, yeah, the, the, you have to hustle. Uh, and I have found that when I apply myself to, to that world, that I see that I see that it works. I have to imagine that you get asked quite a bit by young skiers coming up where there's so many talented skiers in the Tahoe area. Are they asking you like, Hey man, how do I kind of crack into this industry? What, what do I do? And I doubt you would 
be telling them these days, go send a handwritten note with a stamp on it to Matchstick or to a brand. But but what do you say to, to young people wondering, how do I get into this industry? Into the ski industry? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I give, I give, you know, it's not a stamp and an envelope, but it's send an email and follow it up with a phone call. You have to, you have to work it. You have to try, you know, the sponsorships and opportunities in the ski industry, they don't just fall out, fall out of the tree, right? You, you, you have to, um, initiate all these conversations. You have to maintain relationships and you have to, um, perform. And I've seen over the years, a lot of people who are really amazing skiers, sometimes they get a chip on their shoulder because they think they're not getting theirs. They're not getting um, what they deserve in the forms of recognition and compensation. Uh, And in a lot of cases, I think that they might just not even be asking, right? How do you get a really high paying contract? Well, did you ask for it? You know, it's, it's kind of a normal thing in life if you if you want something um, and somebody else has it or has the ability to provide it you you need to ask um, so anyway I think I think that in some cases the outreach phase is neglected um, I don't prefer doing it it's not the fun part um, but it's, it's important. So you have been involved with film. My God, man, not to make you sound old now, but it's been quite a long time. I'm just curious how plugged in you are these days to ski films coming out. I know so much is happening in terms of, you know, independent edits coming out. How much are you able to, or how much do you try to kind of stay up on what's happening, you know, with younger skiers these days? Well, I enjoy, I, I watch skiing. I watch competition skiing and the free road world, you know, free road world tour, or ski racing. I enjoy watching it. Um, I'm not concerned with who's on what film trip doesn't really concern me, but I, uh, I do kind of know what's going on around, you know, TGR was here. We shared some early trams and, um, it was fun to, to watch Kai Jones and, um, just watch those guys just rip. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I'm still shooting. Um, I, did not make a Warren Miller movie last year, but I did the year before. So it's only been um, a couple of years. Was that my last ski movie? I kind of doubt it. I think I'll probably do another. I'll do something. Um, we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's, uh, every, my first ski movie ever was in 1995. I made a movie called Snow Riders. I was in a war, yeah, it was a Warren Miller movie with Chris Patterson and, um, you know, I just met up with him after skiing in Montana the other day, uh, when I was there for peak and, you know, it was fun to toss around some remember ones, uh, cause we had, uh, we had, we had some good times in a lot of different countries. Um, but one thing that we were talking about that day that I'll share is that I, I really cherish that I got to make ski movies when, uh, before the digital era, right? When you shoot film, all you got to do is scribble with a Sharpie on the um, canister after you've put it away in the little dark um, bag. That's it. And then you can just go have fun, do whatever, right? And none of us wore cameras back then. We didn't even wear helmets. So we didn't have a whole bunch of GoPro stuff to sift through. Uh, and... In fact, my first film trip, I didn't even have a cell phone, right? So you just had this pure skiing and mountain town experience that is somewhat lost now because, yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying people aren't 
aren't aren't having fun and having bitching experiences and making memories. They are. And, and so am I. But we're all DITs now, right? Digital information technicians, I think is what it's called, it stands for. You get done skiing with all your GoPros, you got to log all that footage. You got to back it up, probably throw a little bit of editing in there, self-promote. So everybody's got all these roles. Uh, and it was pretty cool to just get one dose of ski action on screen every year, right? It, it was the fall was when the movie came out. That's when all the new content was. Uh, was seen. You had to wait. You didn't get to scroll through social media feeds and see what, you know, super badass trick somebody did yesterday, right? Uh, and you watch that DVD or the VHS tape over and over and over. Uh, so it was, it was totally different. And it, uh, they both have their, their, their advantages and whatnot, but it was pretty cool uh, to just have the experience be as pure and simple as just go out there and rip. That's it. That's all you got to do. You don't have to, to think about anything else. You don't have to self promote or, you know, you're not editing, <laughs> you know, it's just go rip and have fun. So there's a couple things in that statement comparing the kind of pre-digital revolution to where we are now and is I think one of the things I hear you saying is it feels like maybe now you just have to be on more is that part of it or like it, it kind of doesn't it doesn't stop right if you're really going to be right on the front lines it it sort of feels like it doesn't stop is that is that, I, I want to make sure I'm not missing the heart of your point yeah it's fairly accurate and I'm not trying to be a curmudgeon because there's also just wonderful advantages to all yeah. this stuff right you don't it used to be I mean a roll of film going through a camera was expensive right yes. it's 150 <laughs> bucks just to roll however many minutes of film right and so that guy's got to get paid, you know, not to mention he's got to pay rent or mortgage or whatever. So it, it was, it was kind of a, it was kind of a big deal to, to go and film skiing for a day. Um, and now it's just so fun because you could just throw one on your head, chest, whatever, follow somebody down the mountain, out of the plane. And you're, you're in a way you're more free. You're more footloose and fancy free because you don't have to um, choose your days and make your plans. It's just, you just go, just go rip. <laughs> just like I, I said fondly of the old days. So um, it's, it's, it, it's awesome. Uh, but it's, it's just, I just noticed a couple times on my trips uh, recently making ski movies. I, I you know, we all had so much work to do, all this backing up of footage and, oh, we owe this sponsor an edit real quick. And you know, sometimes I'd say, okay, guys, we're all going to the table. Bring your laptops. We're all hanging out, you know. I'm not going to isolate and, and, and go down our rabbit holes of computering. Well, perhaps there is a middle ground that, sort of delivers the best of both scenarios. And I, I'm not at all sure that many folks are operating in that sort of best case middle ground, but maybe maybe we'll figure some things out and continue to move <laughs> closer to that. I don't Yeah, I mean I think I think there's plenty of people that are doing it right. You know? Teton was here. They're doing it right. Those guys were having a blast. Um I think yeah, I think everything's cool. There's nothing nothing unhealthy about making ski movies. It feels like we've seen a bit more a bit more mainstreaming of snow sports. We can maybe keep it to snow sports or talk about the broader outdoor industry if you like. But with things popping up on HBO, right? Miniseries there. Do you like our chances for ski films or films that are really showing off high level, let's say big mountain skiing. Do you like our chances of 
getting more mainstreaming of that? Do you care if that happens? Is that a bad thing if that happens? What are your thoughts on that? On mainstream exposure for snow sports athletes? Good for them. Good for us. It's great. Uh, if the world finds it compelling, uh, then I'm all for it. Yeah. It only, all that, all that will do is, is bring, um, more visibility and, and potentially support and dollars and yeah, nothing wrong with, with skiers being on the news. I'm all for that. Yeah. I was on 60 minutes twice, um, two features, 2009 and 2015. And those were both, uh, very beneficial to my career. They, they both led to very, um, fun and rewarding next steps. It's great. So I, I, I applaud all athletes that are able to bust into that non-endemic media exposure. It's uh, it, it can have, uh, it can be of Olympic proportions, the benefit. Do you think that we are in a situation where there might be more interest, more opportunities for this mainstreaming right now, as opposed to say eight to 10 years ago, what does the landscape look like to you? To me, it looks like there's the same amount of chances that you're going to have some incredible mainstream exposure now as 10 years ago, there is a heck of a lot of content being produced right now. There's so many platforms of streaming. There's everybody's got a different endeavor. Everybody's got a different athlete project or everybody. There's a, there's all seems almost like there's an infinite amount of ways of pushing out quality content. So that can kind of dilute the power in, in that, um, there's just, there's too many sources of it. I'm not saying too many. There's just, there are so many sources that, um, I don't think that there's one place that really everybody's watching. Um, you know, with the exception of world cup racing, you know, and, and then you got, yeah, that's, that's pretty dang mainstream. Cody was just on. He's always on, right? Well, he's, you know, he, he, sh he shows up a lot. Yeah. But he was actually just lamenting actually a bit. He would like to be seeing better World Cup coverage. And he and I were specifically talking about with, I mean, Michaela Schifrin just broke the record, which is just astonishing. But he was kind of lamenting that this hasn't been made an even bigger deal in terms of mainstream coverage and, and I mean, some things are happening behind the scenes and I think we're hoping that that platform will continue to get elevated when it comes to like world cup ski racing. But, um, yeah. So anyway, I just, in the, the wake of Cody's kind of minor rant on that. Well, I, I, I agree that our coverage is lacking in, if you've ever been, in Austria or, or and you just watch the, you turn on the, the race, you watch every single run. There's no fluff. There's no, Oh yeah, this person's, um, you know, sister had a bicycle crash once and, you know, none of this biopic stuff. It's just racer through the gate, racer past the finish line, next up, boom, boom, boom. And, and, and it's, awesome. It's great. And it's probably happening on three channels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mentioned that I had the opportunity. Um, I was just um, at Schladming with Darren Rolves, which I highly recommend if you ever have the opportunity to stroll around one of the largest, biggest ski races in Europe with Darren Rolves. It's a good opportunity. Oh yeah, I, I'm sure. I, I I've been to the Hanukkah with Franz Klammer. Wow. Um, yeah. So yeah, I get it. Yeah, 
Yeah. So it'd be cool. It'd be cool to, you know, I think we're talking about the mainstreaming of kind of big mountain ski films. I'd still, I mean, I think everybody, all of us would agree with this to give ski racing a higher profile in the United States, big mountain skiing, a higher profile everywhere. Um, these would things, I mean, it, it's all happening on such a high level these days that I don't think we can tell a story about how, well, ski racing, the racers used to be better than they are today. I, I think we're as in ripe a situation as ever to continue to show off rather epic athletes and races and big mountain event if, arenas. The coverage of the Freeride World Tour has been phenomenal this year. It's awesome. The way you can just go on the website and scroll to the name that you want, and then it puts you, you click on the name and it goes straight to the timeline of this, you know, seven hour video uh, that they that they somehow stream live and keep up. I mean, it's it's so good. It's um, it's exceptional, and I applaud mm-hmm. them for it because mm-hmm. it's not not an easy thing to live stream from rugged mountains, small hmm. towns. I mean, look at how much trouble we had with the internet today. Just, <laughs> I know. just trying to have a yeah. conversation, but this is so much better because we're having a conversation, right? Yeah. Whereas I was kind of trying to decode and pick up most of it. Um, now I just feel like I'm sitting here talking to you. Um, yeah, but exactly. yeah, the, the, and, and you know, I wonder if the uh, reason the free road world tour coverage is so good is partially because of their merging with FIS. Um, and everybody got all their panties in a bunch about that. I thought that was really silly. Um, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't appreciate when people freak out about a problem before it is a problem, right? Um, and you know, let them if let them, let 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 Fist and Free World Tour go and give it a go. Maybe it's better. Maybe it's worse. If if they face plant, they face plant, and people will go to a different tour. Um, or they'll reevaluate, whatever. But it was it was interesting to to see all these people getting all um, talking about soul of the competition tour is going to go away with this. I don't know. Only thing I'm noticing is really good coverage. Hmm. So, um, and yeah, there's just yeah, there, there was there was a lot of hullabaloo about it, hmm. and. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a lot of people like to talk about Shane, and well, you know what? Shane's not around, so we can't speak for him, right? He's gone, so we can't say what he would have wanted to do. And by the way, um, he left the organization while he was alive. Right? He wasn't organizing competitions. Um, yes, he founded IFSA. By the way, IFSA had nothing to do with those two with this and free world tour, right? Those are two European companies that just went and did something together. Good for them. It's been awesome to watch. Hmm. <laughs> fair, fair points, fair points. I think we need to talk about gear a bit. Sure. And I'm really curious again, with what we've already said about all the different sports activities, industries that you have been a part of i guess my first question is where have you found yourself most intrigued about the gear pickiest about the gear right i mean skiing i'm i think it's fair to say is the thing you've been doing sort of the longest uh in your life and I could then sort of see, I think it is a common thing among really high level accomplished skiers, their attitude can be a bit, it's like, I can kind of just go make everything work. I, well, I'm not sure that's true in your case. If you were like, no, I was always looking to kind of figure out like tinkering with ski boots or skis. But I also was like, well, maybe you found yourself tinkering more, diving into the weeds and details when it came to, you know, base jumping gear or the driving stuff, which we haven't even talked about. So from the, a really macro level, where have you found yourself really going deepest down the rabbit holes when it comes to all these different areas and sports that involve a whole lot of gear? 
where have you been the kind of most curious? That's very, that's a good question. Uh, Challenging to answer, but speed riding for sure. I have, I've delved pretty deep into various configurations of risers and sort of technical stuff that um, helps you actually ski while you're flying a parachute. Uh, there's, there was a guy named Antoine Montant and he made it just mind blowing segment in, uh, Magic Productions 2008 release. I think it was claim. I'm not sure which movie it was, but it was 2008 and holy smokes. I mean, this guy was ripping huge, steep mountains, slough, uh, and really skiing. You know, he was actually skiing. He was skiing places that you couldn't otherwise ski. And that was when I was okay, that I have got to do that. That is, that is just really cool. Uh, and I, and I, I know a new Antoine, um, but I, that movie came out and that spring I was in Chamonix and, you know, I, I thought I'd had a pretty cool day cause I did two runs. I did the Glacier Ron and the Kuar Cosmique. Um, and both times was traversing back to the mid station and I mean, I felt, felt pretty good about my day. And, um, there's Antoine doing laps, right? He's just, and he's on the true north facing slopes where the snow's super good. And I can see that he's, the snow is spraying off of his skis and uh, that he's properly skiing. And he had a camera on his head and he showed me, I was just, wow, that is so cool. And, and, you know, here I am, I just traversed in heat, you know, almost wet avalanche type day. And, and, you know, I'm sucking down some water and a Coca-Cola. I'm just like trying to hydrate. And these dudes are drinking from flasks and smoking cigarettes. They're not even working at all. They're just going to the top of the Gidamadi, dropping in and ripping turns and then flying their parachutes down and, and running back up to get onto the tram to do another one. You know, lap, 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 lap. Uh, so anyway. That was Antoine Montan, and he developed a speed riding wing called the Mutant. And the Mutant is very unpopular. People don't like it at all because it's it's ground hungry, right? It does not fly far. It does not fly fast. Um, and it's just generally inefficient, but it's stable as can be. You can make mistakes and it just opens up right right on heading for you again. And you can have less than perfect style and form. And um, these are all things that happen when you're actually skiing. And, and it's just this rock solid, awesome speed riding wing. Um, the company is no longer, uh, but, uh, and Antoine is no longer, um, but the the kid carrying the torch is Valentin DeLuc and Val is amazing. He's this kid. I, I met him also on the Guidamidi um, in, in the spring in Chamonix. And you know, here, here's a kid getting out of class, high school, going up the Guidamidi, you know, cotton t-shirt underneath a windbreaker and just ripping with a parachute as a team. Right. This guy learned to paraglide when he was 11. He competed in ski racing. He's a certified ski instructor. He's, um, he's a slope style competitor. I mean, this, this kid can ski and, um, and it comes from a family of aviators. So his, um, you know, just aviation is, is in their blood. And, and so he is, measurably better than anybody else at speed riding. I mean, and nobody will argue with me with that statement. This kid is good. It's one of these, this is kind of like when you, I used to spend a lot of time with Shane, it was kind of annoying how friggin' quickly they learned, how badass they perform. You're just like, gosh, darn it. You know? Um, but that's Val. And, and the only problem with Val is, He's so damn good that he can fly 
this super fast, twitchy, highly technical wing in the critical situation, right? In where if you fall, you die type stuff. Whereas I prefer to have that margin there where you got this really stable, docile wing uh, above your head when you're speed riding. And, you know, same thing with launching, right? You, you, you launch the parachute at the top of the mountain. Usually it doesn't matter if that doesn't go well, but sometimes you're launching in places where you're going to die if, the, if it doesn't inflate properly. You're for sure dead. For instance, top of the Iger, right? And that's where you, this old, inefficient, discontinued mutant speed wing is, is that's the money, man. That thing's, that thing's always going to open for you. We like it most because first it, it's reliability in opening. That's the number one thing. Well, no, it's, it's, it launches very consistently. Um, here's the thing about parachutes is you, um, the more efficient a wing is, the more performance it has, generally the less safe it is, right? Um, so you got your great big Greyhound bust type parachutes. That's what base jumpers use. Big, slow, but they're going to open well, right? Um, and then you have your high-speed swoop parachute enthusiasts and these guys you know you see them skimming across the water you know and those parachutes open quite poorly right takes a long time for them to open they're prone to malfunction um you need to treat them well when you're flying you know it's 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 a whole different thing so i'm willing to sacrifice some performance um for that stability that that reliability in my speed wings. But, you know, I, I think I kind of went off on a tangent there. And most people have no idea what I'm talking about. These speed wings and launching. And, and like, we got an audience full of skiers that are probably just pressing fast forward right now. <laughs> no, 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 they're not. One of the things I'm, I'm willing to say about our audience is I think, you know, eight years in or however long we've been doing this particular podcast, it's a very curious lot and it's one of the things I frankly really like about our broader blister community is like these are people who like to know stuff about things they might not know. And by the way, that's me in this situation too. Like this is one of the longer conversations I've had about, you know, wings and speed riding. And, and it's kind of fascinating. I, as you were talking, I was kind of lining up the next question, which and I was going to say, like, this is maybe the dumbest question I'm about to ask you. But but here we go. Before you do, I, I want to kind of summarize what what I was saying. So first of all, if you're not following Valentin DeLuke, follow him. Do that, okay. Um, very entertaining uh, to watch. Beautiful, beautiful performances uh, in the air and on the snow. Um, but the question originally was about what, you know, what gear, gear. has really... Yeah. And so I have... I really embraced Antoine's um, Antoine's wings and Antoine had a whole bunch of um, things that he was doing to the risers and, and whatnot. And I've gone pretty far down the rabbit hole there. Now, base jumping uh, is also an interesting thing with gear because base jumping uh, is something that teaches you to be at least a little bit OCD, right? You need to not pack poorly you need to not make mistakes with rigging your gear uh, because you could for sure die um, and uh, so I, I've learned a fair amount about about gear and about what's important through just being a base jumper um, and then you mentioned the car racing the car racing is one of these things that's awesome but boy, oh boy, can you just rabbit hole to just, just way too much. It's ridiculous because there's so many components, right? You've got brake calipers and tire tread and, um, you know, steering shafts and everything. It's just, there's so many components to a car. And after a while, I, I have in recent years 
you know, for some reason, when we become adults, our time is is less. Um, we just have less of it. Uh, it's less accessible. So I have now evaluated all my sports with the eye of participation ratios. Um, you know, my uh, my girlfriend runs right. All she has to do is put on her shoes and go. Right, that's cool. Um, so that's a one hundred percent participation ratio. Now you go skiing, even if there's no lift lines, you know, you probably seven minutes up, two minutes down, right? So seven to two ratio. Um, whereas I can go skate skiing and I can go for an hour and a half and I'm skiing the whole time. Right. So uh here, the more complex your stuff is, it usually affects your participation ratio. Um, so I, I, I often yearn for simple sports. Yeah. As somebody who has been basically reviewing gear daily for over 12 years now, that has actually led me into, as you were just talking about, like the simplicity of a trail run, you know, you literally tie up your shoes. And if you are, if you live in a certain place, like, you know, that has close trail access, that's it. And I, I really increasingly appreciate the simplicity of that, I think, for the reasons you're describing. Yeah, it's great. Okay, I'm going to get my question in there. Yes, yeah, go ahead. Because I was watching some film of you, and it led to this rather basic and maybe silly question, but as we were talking about wings, and you were saying that, you know, certain wings, like, they're, what did you call it? Ground hungry, I think I said ground hungry they're just they're going down yeah but like there's a real tension here right skiing largely happens being connected to the snow a big old parachute is trying to take you off the ground and at some point again you tell me but it seems like there's a tension there right the bigger the shoot it's like well i'm off the ground and i'm if i'm trying to actually make turns so there is a middle ground of this or how does this go most people aren't really skiing when they go speed riding they're kind of dragging their tails around maybe making some tracks but they're not really skiing when you know for me i know when i'm really speed riding when i'm properly speed riding i'm satisfying my fresh tracks craving right we all want to get those freshies um and and i'm i'm getting more freshies because of the fact that I have a parachute and I'm absolutely skiing. I, I, you're ne- you can never be at 100% weight uh, because the wing's always going to be lifting you a little bit, but you can be at about 90, 85, 90. And then the wonderful thing too is you, if it's crusty um, or if adverse skiing conditions, you can uh, weigh yourself at maybe half weight. Um, and then it's, it's still really fun and, you kind of get to have this skiing experience of you know, a 12-year-old, right? Somebody weighs 80 pounds or something. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's an absolutely wonderful form of recreation. Speed riding is it's really cool. And, you know, I began ski-based jumping where you're skiing off a cliff, right? You no longer can ski yourself back to safety, like you, you, you are betting your life on your ability to transition yourself into a different sport and then land safely, right? Not particularly bright. Now, the um, speed riding, on the other hand, you have the ability you have the ability to ski your way to safety or fly your parachute to safety. All right, so you've gone. You, you're standing on your skis and you start skiing, right? You have one thing that can bring you to safety is, is the skis. And then boom, the parachute's up. Now you got two. So you've gone from one to two. Um, and then if you're airborne, now you're back to one. You have to fly yourself down to safety. And then, um, you know, land again and you're, you're back to two. But... Um, with the base jump, ski base jumping, you're one to zero to one, right? So it's all about that, that transition. So where are you at 
these days? I mean, you just got done saying you're really appreciating running and being oh, able I to don't put run. on a- I wish I could run. I only run when I'm late for airplanes. Um, <laughs> or, you know, if I've done something gray area illegality, I might run. Um, but uh, well, I, I actually, I run when I launch parachutes and land parachutes. There you go. Um, but I don't. <laughs> Get that cardio in. I don't run. I, I would love to run, but it's not the best thing for my body. My joints aren't super happy about about running these days. Huh. Um, I had a foot injury, and you know, it's just I'm not a runner. It's, it's okay. I, I I I I'm a cyclist, and I'm a surfer, and I'm a hiker, and uh, I I ski tour, um, but I don't run. Given what you said about the risk elements of ski-based jumping versus speed riding, can we make certain assumptions about where you are then with respect to those two activities? I actually might go do a ski-based, uh, there's kind of a small gathering coming up. Um, so maybe uh, keep it mellow, you know, but keep it mellow. Yeah. I, I, I don't shun the base, the base rig. Um, it's it's interesting the, you know, people say oh, you know you're gonna quit or whatever, but it's it's very subjective where you draw the line, right? Okay, so so you won't go base jumping, but you'll go jump a single parachute system out of a hot air balloon from a thousand feet. Like, what's the difference, right? And, and base jumping is like anything else. It's you've got your green circles, your blue squares, your black diamonds, your double black diamonds. Um, so it's it's interesting to me when, um, but I, I respect people wanting to draw the line uh, somewhere. But um, I don't have rules in my life. Fair enough. I want to let you get going on this uh, Sunday evening. Back to peak for a minute. Yes. So you and Andy go way back. He made a compelling pitch. You're on board. At the moment, are you on board primarily as an athlete? Are you on board to bring ski design to the table, even though we sure as hell know Bodhi has a whole lot of ideas and opinions on that front? Where where are you at now? Yeah. So business development, business development and innovation, I will admit that my strategy for the innovating of actually building these skis is to facilitate Bodhi and stay out of his way because that guy is an absolute genius. The, the, the amount of information um, in his mind uh, and how he can uh, articulate it and create something that actually works uh, is, is very impressive. And I think that it's, fairly unbelievable that they came out of the gate in one year and have so many skis that are widely accepted as very, very good. Right? Like people love these skis and that's not an easy thing to do. Um, that speaks to a, uh, a lot of talent uh, and a healthy and effective uh, working environment. Um, these guys are doing something right over there in Bozeman, Montana. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm really excited to be a part of it. Um, so the innovation, uh, I will be involved in, in developing the skis and, um, and then there's the, the business development is a lot of that comes down to, um, relationships and my network and, bringing the right people together, putting the pieces together and, and, and seeing things through. Um, and we kind of have come out of the gate. Um, you know, we came, came in hot. We're, we're working, we're doing a lot of things. And, um, the, you, you mentioned the, the sponsorship, the athlete side. Um, this is not a, a, a sponsorship. Um, there's nowhere in my contract that, even says I have to use the skis. <laughs> um, but for sure, I am, you know, I'm skiing for cameras and um, I'm, I'm excited to 
have the opportunity to to push this this brand um and um it's uh yeah so it's it's all of these things and it's i i'm, I'm i feel very really really lucky fortunate and it's kind of this um there's a buzz about the you know not there's sure there's a buzz amongst the industry but you know these guys are kind of buzzing with that um vibe of you know, being on a mission and and being on an adventure and where's this going to take us and just all this kind of they've got some wind in their sails and um it's contagious and it's it's pretty exciting well very cool appreciate hearing your take on this whole new partnership thing and this new endeavor for you and um great opportunity too to talk about all these other things um that said that said, I know we sure did not exhaust all of the potential topics uh, of conversation. So I think we'll maybe need to do this again sometime. And uh, yeah, we barely even talked about peak. I don't, I don't know. I, I must, I must have just blacked out and just started ta- ranting about parachutes and skis and. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I didn't, I didn't discourage you from doing that. So you've given us the backstory. Yeah. Now you got to put your head down. Y'all have a bunch of work to do and, uh, and we'll definitely have some occasion to circle back. Great. Well, call me anytime. I look forward to it. Awesome, man. Thanks JT. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this edition of the blister podcast. I want to say thanks to JT for the conversation Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And seriously, don't forget to check out our Blister Plus Spot membership. If you are somebody who doesn't currently have insurance, or maybe you have a deductible that's $3,000 or $5,000 or $10,000, if that's your situation, this is something that will absolutely save you a lot of money. So again, we'll include a link to that in the show notes of this episode, or you can find it on our website. It's our Blister Plus Spot membership. You'll see the whole list of activities that are covered under this. Check it out, sign up. And if you do get wrecked, don't get financially wrecked too. All right, that's all we got for you. Check out all of our other great podcasts that we'll be dropping this week on our other channels, and we will talk to you again real soon.